Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. Once again, we have remastered a recording from about 18 years ago in Santa Monica, California. This had not been produced as a podcast before, although produced on other media, earlier media. It's called Lionheartedness. I'd also like to mention that we have one more session of Dharma Dialogues the last Sunday of November on the beautiful Mornington Peninsula. Details are on the website, katherineingram.com. Our most fundamental experience is that of pure presence. It's what you've been drenched in your whole life is pure presence. You maybe have been thinking about other things along the way, but your actual most primordial experience of what we call living or existence is that of pure presence, just simply being. That's just the truth of the matter. What is often known as realization is simply the direct experience of pure presence, fundamental presence, which includes present awareness. And that's pretty much all there is to it. And what happens in that recognition of being drenched in pure presence and simply being is a quality of alertness, a quality of tranquility, a quality of love. And though life may continue to be complicated in certain ways due to whatever your particular circumstances are, there's an internal simplicity in this realization. Things become very simple inside, you could say, whereby there's a resting in presence, no matter what else is happening. And therefore the attention, your attention is freed up to take care of the tasks at hand, to relate to the person before you, to see clearly, to simply see and hear clearly. Realization, so-called, is nothing more complicated than that. It is the, the direct and immediate recognition of this pure presence that you've been drenched in your whole life, no matter what other story you had going, and a kind of willingness to live in that primordial recognition. So here, in these evenings... All that really happens is that we sit in that recognition together and we speak from and about that. And it just reminds us of our own true nature. There's no practice or attainment. It's just a way to enjoy our own true selves together. Could you talk about hope? Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought I was someone who didn't have hope. Uh-huh. You know, and that's why I'm not like the successful person I was supposed to be, for <laughs> instance. <laughs> but but it was it was put to me that By the way, what measure by what measure do you mean that? Oh, oh like uh, making a lot of money. Yeah, or? I should have been pulling in the money. Okay. I didn't right. want fame, but I wanted the money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've got some hope lurking around, but I, I don't know how to spot it. I mean, is it in action? Is it in thought? And are you assuming that um, hope is a good thing to have? Oh, I guess so. But, um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the call is to not have hope. You know, see, I, I'm someone that, like, I mean, I've been... So, like, non-religious all my life, it's always had this rebellion against beliefs. Yes. You know, and I, and I know even as strong as that may be for me that, you know, I'm going to have beliefs, they just won't look religious, for instance, you know. Yeah. But it was put to me 
to inquire whether I could give up hope. So I'm just thinking that hope must show up different ways, like in actions and thoughts and stuff like. Well, you know, the T.S. Eliot line, be still and wait without hope for hope, maybe hope for the wrong thing. Yeah. But I could even refine that a little tiny bit. Be still and wait without hope, period. Hope inevitably comes with, I mean, it's, its cousin is disappointment, right? Yeah. They hang out together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get, you know, you win a few and you lose a lot <laughs> when you're playing the hope game. Because usually your hopeful visions are way more than what's going to be turning out. Then I've had hope. <laughs> yeah. That's a giveaway. Yeah, watch it as it arises. You'll see if you if you because it's also it's a form of desire. It's a form of saying this is not quite enough as good as it may be. It's not quite enough. And wouldn't it be nice? I wish that would happen. I hope that will happen. You know, it's like I was saying last night about if your peace is based, if your peace your experience of deep and profound calm and peace is based on change of circumstance in this world or in your personal life. Good luck. Very difficult. I think also for me on this whole hope issue, it's the continuation of things as they are, <laughs> you know, at least. But the but the things as they are, first of all, they're all they're changing. Yeah. So that's hopeless. But the continuation that one can trust in is the continuation of the surrender to what is. That's that's a continuation. That's an ongoing habit that can be trusted and deepened and relied upon. And as I keep saying, is your only sanctuary. There is no other sanctuary. It would be nice if there was. If It would be great if we could cobble together a little life somehow that would stay put and stay nice, you know, and have all the stuff that we like and the people in it and no one would hurt, get hurt or die or leave us. And Yeah, I think some of that is... is- Lurks around. Me. Sure, it's yeah. it's it's common. It's a natural arising. Yeah. But it's a minefield. It's a minefield that you walk along, and things blow up all the time. Yeah, they do. Yes. So, to really know that that is not your sanctuary, the only sanctuary you have is the is the plunge into the the, the recognition of the drenched pure presence here and now. That's your only, that's the only spot that's safe. (laughs) (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's, that's what, I mean, if there's a path I'm on, that's, that would be a big part of that path. Yeah. Of, of, uh, of an acceptance of, And, I mean, the other joke of this is that when you really do stop into that, when you really stop and and find yourself just just blasted into this presence, you don't really want anything else, you know? It's enough. It's more than enough. It's more than you can even take in. I've tasted that with you. I know. I know you did. Yes. I know you did. And that's the power of that recognition, is to simply, even to just know that for a few seconds, let alone a few Mm -hmm. days, it changes the whole, it just shifts the whole vision. And then you realize that's the only thing you need for happiness, and it's the only safe thing. You can then dance freely with the other pleasures of life. 
you can play, you can have relationship, you can, you know, enjoy your work and be with your fish and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, have, you have kind of playful work and all the things, you know, enjoy your books or your yeah. movies and your delight in your friends and, and suffer through the losses that happen inevitably and so on. But all the while, you know where home base is. You're no longer confused and just being battered about, like I said, like that piece of driftwood on the surface of the ocean. You're still inside. You're simple inside. Hope is complicating. As soon as you have a hope, you start having a strategy. You start having an agenda. You start having to manipulate. And I have worry about that hope. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah it may not come to be. Yeah. Right. Or it may come to be in a way you don't really want. Yeah. Yeah. Be still and wait without hope, period. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, cool, thanks. That's great. <laughs> Hi, Catherine. Everybody. So nice to see you. So nice to see you. I want to stay on this subject a little bit, if I could, but... Where I'm getting tripped up is with physical pain. Yes. Yeah. I, it's not, it, there's no doubt in what you say. That isn't my question. At least I don't think it is. But, but I, since I'm working on, yeah, I want to say that exactly right. Since I'm addressing physical pain. You, you wonder if having hope that it will be alleviated. Yes. Um, it's the things that I'm doing. I don't want to be doing, I don't want to be getting in my own way. I guess my question is, and I, I don't feel clear about this. And so I can feel I'm clouded here somehow. So you're hoping that you're not necessarily hoping you're going to get rid of the pain. But oh, the, I'm hoping I'll get rid of the pain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, that the, or that the pain is going to somehow reveal something to you? Is that what you're Both asking? Both would be fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just being rid of the physical pain would be all I ask for. Yes. But I know that even in asking, I'm not in full acceptance. Yeah. So that's where I'm getting a little... I f- well, think I could be getting tripped up with myself. It's certainly natural for an organism to not want to be in pain. That's a natural arising, okay? Yes. And, and, and that can be a kind of light thought form that is just simply flowing through frequently because you because the pain is arising and it may not have to have the certain heaviness of, of oh my god you know my life is over if i don't get rid of this and my life will actually begin if i do get rid of this that's i mean it won't have it won't be charged with that level of hope but i think that it might be a lot to expect of yourself that the thoughts of wishing there would be no pain would not arise. That That's unrealistic. Those thoughts will naturally arise, mm-hmm. but they don't actually have to form a kind of construct of living in a hopeful reality of the time when you have no pain. But rather, you're living with the pain as it comes, and there are thoughts that are coming that wish it would go away. And it's as simple as that. But that's for the, exactly it. And for the most part, your awareness can be very, very present. Mm-hmm. Very, very present with whatever's yes occurring. Yes, I have a. I have. A, you've heard me talk. I have a yes thing in my foot, and every step on my left foot shoots pain. So certainly, there are times when the thought is rolling through. I wish this would go away, or you know, wish there was something to do about this. You know, that that thought goes through very, very naturally. Yes. But I can say that there's not an overriding sense about my life that says anything no. about No, I, I you understand yes, about my totally. left foot having some sort of yes. <laughs> great influence on Yeah. There's just the experience a pain. <laughs> when I step on it, and when yes. I'm not, it doesn't hurt. I don't think about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
These bodies, as you know, you're a doctor, have pain inherent in them. They stay together a little while. Nature keeps it all together while we're in procreating years <laughs> and, and mends it and fixes it really quickly for us to keep it all going. But then after that point, <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> It starts disintegrating. Well, that did away really with the fast. hope, that's for sure. <laughs> what? That did away with the hope, that's for sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's just the na- I mean, it's just the nature. It just the, the elements start to go haywire. And I mean we can do our very best and and be intelligent with it. You know, I speak about being embodied and letting the awareness inform the 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 living organism, and take care of it appropriately. But there's no fending off the disintegration. So be still and wait without hope. And really, and that doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself, of course. It of course. means you take the best possible care of yourself. And the thoughts come through that wishes the pain would go <clears throat> away, just like thoughts might come through that don't want to die, naturally. One can live in the preponderance of one's awareness can be in just this witnessing position, just witnessing the show as it is. And there are even moments, there are these really exalted moments where you're witnessing it and you realize you wouldn't tinker with a single thing. You wouldn't change a dot. And... I've sometimes, in those moments of looking at reality that way, I've sometimes I've made, I've forced my awareness onto the most difficult things, the most extreme difficult things that happen on this earth as the most despicable ones. And it's held true that you just, you stand back and you just watch. It's the play, it's, it's the whole creation and destruction play. And that's what it's doing. That's what existence is doing on its own. That's really getting out of its way. Thank you. Have you always been so lion-hearted? Or was that after meeting Papaji? Well, I didn't say I was lion-hearted, but I used the phrase... But I think, you know, I I had a very difficult childhood. I had a childhood of extreme suffering. And there was always something that was, that was having to overcome. And there was always something that was happening in, in my being. There was an overcoming going on from as far back as I can remember. And at some point it turned into a search for some greater context to hold it all in, which led to a spiritual search. So I guess that's the only way I can answer that. I was no stranger to suffering. So the suffering of the world that I now see and hold in a different way, not in such a personal way as I once did, and even my own personal story is not held in the same personal way, is... It, it can live in my being because it's, it's just a way that there's plenty of space for that. And a, a knowing that you don't break, you know, if you let it roll through, you, you're you still here. Even your conversation with Larry, you know, that phrase lion-hearted kept coming into my mind because you make it sound very simple, just, you know, don't have hope, but, you know... <laughs> that simple I mean it takes courage just uh, for for me anyway or it did well but but let's examine because see from my point of view it's much more difficult to live with hope and be battered around by hope and live in disappointment and live in a sense of begging of the universe give me that show me that make the world a nicer place let's have peace on earth (laughs) all those things, you know. I mean, they're nice ideas, but they're not likely. So 
from my point of view, living with that kind of supplication is painful. It's such a beautiful line you walk, because of course you, all that was just said, not that you hope for peace on earth, but you're right there with everyone. You're Right, and I, I feel, as I've been saying, you've heard me say hundreds of times, that the most conducive possibility for peace on earth is one, you know, is, is a kind of spread of this, of this recognition whereby we're just sitting in the center of our beings and we're at ease and at peace and we love each other and we, and we look out and see it's family here and all the plants and every other thing, we're all just, it's a river of DNA. It's all the same DNA. You know, it's, it's, it's literally family. It's th- that awakened awareness informs this, this lion-heartedness, you could say, effortlessly. And then you feel this sense of belonging that you were craving. So much of what hope is attached to is a sense of belonging, ultimately, no matter what the story is, whether it's like you hope you get a new jag <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is, the new house, the girl, the baby, whatever it is, fundamentally it's going to come down to a sense of being at home in yourself, a sense of belonging here. That's very interesting. <laughs> and you can go direct and have that sense of belonging without necessarily attaching it to any of those things. If those things come along, they may sparkle that sense of belonging for you. But they won't necessarily have to create it. So from my point of view, hope can be very dangerous to live with. I know this is a radical thing to be saying. But But it makes perfect sense because it's future thinking. Yeah. Basically, it comes down yeah. to... Yeah. 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 You keep discovering there's no other spot. I mean, you know, we have all these other concepts that we keep trying to play with and think, well, that's sort of a nice spiritual... Like having hope seems like a spirit... Having, you know... <laughs> but it comes down to just this razor's edge of now. It was great what you said last night that, you know, we're not going back to the forest. <laughs> right. There's hardly any forest left. <laughs> if we all went to the forest, it would be very crowded in the forest. Because <laughs> it's easy to still get caught in those lofty thoughts. Yes. Let's just all go to the forest. Yes, you know? right. Let's go way back somewhere, wherever that time was. Um. I've got a question about sitting with sorrow mm-hmm. and um, I'll give an example of something that happened this morning just to give a flavor of what I'm talking about. Every every Saturday morning we have farmer's market in Santa Barbara and it's beautiful and I meet a couple of nuns from a local temple in town and we they're going to go do the shopping for the temple, for the convent. and. Um, this morning we were, we were striking up a conversation and one of the nuns was talking about one of the other nuns and I realized, hang on, I don't know who that one is. And I should know because I've been going there for seven years or something, you know, so I knew them all. And then, and then I had a thought and I thought, oh, hang on, maybe it's this. And I asked who it was and it was a nun I thought it was, but you never see her around. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then my friend said something, well, you know, she went into the monastery at 18 and, and she's kind of lost interest or something and it really hit like that really made me sad and that she'd lost interest and was yeah it was really bizarre i mean there was there was a sorrow there and it hit first then and then when i was driving home it really hit and and then there are other examples in my life of my friends you know and then i see just some difficult a difficult life and then yes and then there's there's nothing to be done. Right. Like my wisdom tells me, there's nothing to do except accept this as it is. Right. But um, it, it there's a sorrow there. Yes. And what I'm struck with as you're speaking is the level of your empathy. 
this, this sensitivity that is occurring in you and how wonderful that is, even though part of what comes with that is the experience of sorrow. What also comes with that on the other end of that spectrum of feeling is the capacity for true shared happiness, that you can really delight in your friend's delights. You can really feel it. That's what happens with this process of recognition, right? Yeah, that's why I come to satsang, because (laughs) I get that side of it here. Yes, yeah. For sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's how it is, right, that the sorrow is just, that's part of it. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. For some people, they're more finely attuned to it, but it is my experience and my observation as well that in the resting in this, empathy greatly increases. Right, but there's the helplessness. It's such a poignant What happens, it is poignant. Yeah. And the experience doesn't, necessarily have to feel like helplessness many times but it feels like surrender right you know well the, the impulse is to want to help out help out but right. the, you know that just that ain't right on the cards right, right. or sometimes it is a little sometimes bit sometimes it is but right but i'm not talking about those times yes right, right. Yeah. there are times when you're just watching someone in a circumstance that there's just no happy spin on it. It's hard, and it may be getting worse. Yeah. And okay. you just... A lot of what people want and are helped by is your is your presence just to be there with them, no matter what the circumstance. Just that you feel to the degree that you do their suffering, that's a huge comfort. Right. It's a huge comfort for... for yeah almost anyone in pain right there is a sense often with this that um it's all as it should be like you if you know enough of it you see you know if that if the roles were reversed i would be right there in that position and i don't have any wisdom for that i mean it's like that's that's for that being and right humble humility i suppose yeah that's the lionheartedness. It's the willingness to feel. And a lot of what we've been doing with our neurotic stories and, and just just this rap, this hypnotizing rap that's going on in most people's heads is the avoidance of any deep feeling. That's definitely been my MO, and I've really come to see that the last year or and so. And you start to see, when that is not so much the case, the flood of feelings that are going through that it does take a certain steadiness. Yes. Right? It takes a real steadiness to handle that. Yeah. I think Aurora told me once a, a John de Reuter line in a poem where he says, when you wake up, you realize why you've chosen to be asleep yes. all this time. <laughs> but not really. Not you really, know? no. I mean, but, it, but we all understand why that's right. funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> but not really. No, you, you realize you wouldn't go back. I don't want it any other way. No. And now the only trick is to just let it burn you up entirely you just have to now just blaze in this and and just let it slam open and no resistance and just let the feelings roar through yeah that's why it was so powerful for me when i met punjaji to see the way that emotion went through him so strongly that he would he would both laugh and cry on the same, in the same satsang, maybe even a couple of times, you know, each, um, like really roar with laughter and also have tears or be sorrowful. I mean, they would just, it would all come through him like weather. And it was such a model for me of how to be and how to let it all go through. And it reminded me of being a child. Someone was speaking last night Mm -hmm. about uh, how, that happens when you know the patriarch is is actually a child inside yes. and he was the perfect model for that that the, that the wisdom he was sitting in evoked this memory of what it looked felt like to be a child and when things just went through you and you forgot about them the next minute you were playing in the sprinkler that's right children are like that <laughs>
Well, it, I'm glad you relate that. You've relayed that once before, but it 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 was good to hear it a second yes, time. Yes, yeah. hear it in a new place. Yeah. Such a teaching. It is such a teaching. It was it was one of yeah. the most powerful aspects of the teaching with right. him because I had always been with teachers for whom equanimity was the right. way to be. Yeah. And so there was a distance and a non-emotional right. presentation. Yeah. I definitely have a part of my conditioning, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this room in this, being a guy, but um, where I want to cry and I don't, like if I'm in a public place or something, and then I, you know, like a little something kicks in. And um, so I'm, get, I'm getting the message that Papaji wouldn't have done that, right? He would have just bawled in public or... Yeah, well, he did. <laughs> he did bowl in public quite frequently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was uninhibited with whatever was coming through. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So not to be afraid of emotions. When you're experiencing sorrow born of empathy with someone else's difficult situation, there's a beauty to that. There's a stark beauty to that. Now... I wouldn't recommend wallowing in it, you know, kind of make draining and obsessing about it, yeah. and it just kind of, it just waves through in its own way and time. When I was uh, hearing the the speaking about emotion, something came up. I'm realizing more and more that there's a repression of emotion mm -hmm. that happens for me pretty often and it's wired up with survival mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to see how mm -hmm. um, when I was young I had asthma and any kind of strong emotion would trigger an asthma attack yeah yeah it would tend to mm -hmm. that makes sense and so emotion equals death uh-huh uh-huh that would certainly be an inhibiting factor. <laughs> that's that's kind of it feels like what what happens. So now how to unravel that or Yeah. It, I think that it's a matter of making the experiment. Being willing, you know, just the first step is seeing the pattern and understanding that pattern. And then there may be, the awareness may just naturally gravitate to more risk-taking, just bit by bit, however much it does. You don't have to force it. And just let it, just let that all happen on its own. The, the awareness will do all the work for you. But the, the knowing of it is the very first step. And that's a really important insight you've just understood. And then, as I always say, the trust is born of the experience. You'll find, you know, you'll have some emotion that you experience deeply and you release and you find yourself still alive. <laughs> so there's a little confidence that comes. and It's amazing how loose we can get in this sitting in the center of this presence. How loose the personality gets. And, you know, a kind of freedom in the body and everything it starts to get too loose. <laughs> I, I can also see, or it's becoming apparent, that somehow letting that unravel is becoming more important to my own well-being. Yes. I was going to say to you that, that unlike emotions equal death, repression of emotions could start to equal death. But I think it is important. And of course, that doesn't mean indulging madness. It just means just the natural flow of emotions of human life. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Today I had an awareness about relationship not being personal. Relationship not being personal? Yeah, uh -huh. being impersonal, but it was pretty striking as it came in. 
Well, everything is built around relationship. Around relationships. Yes. Um, but it's really shaken the foundation. And it feels like it's all tumbling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tumbling into freedom because that recognition, that realization is very free. It doesn't quite feel like that yet. Yeah, but it does tumble into freedom, seeing that. You know, it's like a, it's like a dream is shattered. And so there's that loss of the dream, but you realize it was just a dream. And then you can be really open to a much more true relationship that is born of your own wholeness, whereby you are then dancing together as wholes and not as halves or imaginary halves. A more neurotic way for the personal connection and the missing other and the missing half and the missing thing to be filling up one's emptiness such a risky position. You're, you're just another, it's another beggar role. And often makes for very sticky, complicated relationships that are never very satisfying. And the suffering in that. Yeah. Oh. Imaginable suffering. Yes. I know I it know. well. <laughs> I did my time. <laughs> you might find, and certainly don't have any hope about this, but you could find yourself in relationship in such a new and thrilling way, an exhilarated way, born of freedom not born of that sort of personal, sticky, clutching, you know. And I speak in my book, there's a section called Awakened Relationship. I speak about, a lot about the myth of romantic love and, and how people are very sort of sentimental about when one spouse dies and the other spouse dies within six months and, you know, and everyone says, oh, isn't that dear? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, in a way that's just very, just very sad and very pathetic, sort of. Like two trees collapse together in a forest, and, you know, when one goes down, the other falls. But rather thinking more of ourselves as these whole trees, you know, standing in wholeness. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for mirroring that. Yeah, we just keep falling and falling and falling into this, into this drenched presence. And we find here such ease, such peace, such luminosity, intelligence, love that doesn't necessarily have to have a particular object, love just arising, not needing any particular place to land, not needing to channel itself in one spot, hoping to get reflected back. Experiencing love more as an outflow than the hope and desperation of wanting it to come in. Yes. Uh, just to try and clarify, I'm not in this state of consciousness of being here now consciously in this presence. Then I'm basically spending a lot of my energy blocking that or repressing it because it or simply or simply lost in thought your attention is elsewhere it doesn't necessarily have to be a repression but just that your attention is distracted so there comes a point where you begin to realize it's like a toggle switch you realize you're either in the distraction of the story or you're at ease in presence, and the thoughts are just floating through, no problem. They don't have to be stopped. And it's just simply that. It's nothing more complicated. So it'd be just the awareness would be the key toggle switch. Is what That's right. That's all that it is. It's the awareness. It's where the awareness is resting. So if I were to be aware of this, then I'm, in a sense, in my mind, in the past or the future, blocking it. If I choose not to go for being in the present, then somehow 
I'm choosing to remain in the blocking that or repressing my own consciousness. Well, you could say it another way. You could simply say that there is some compelling thing about your story that is still grabbing the attention. And until that is no longer compelling to you, you may still do it. So it could be like asthma, could be some past trauma, it could be some drive that's driving me to continue to remain in not being in the present. Right, just some, you know, I sometimes say it just depends on your capacity for suffering. <laughs> you know, that it, as long as you want to keep entertaining the thoughts, past and future, and the discomfort that comes with that, and the discomfort that comes with the story of me, because usually the thoughts of past and future are all about me. It's me in the past and me in the future. It's a movie you're seeing with you as the star. And we call the thoughts past and future. Actually, they're all occurring only in the now, but nevertheless, they're about past, about future, like the subject of the movie. And whenever there's a movie about me rolling, there is inherently suffering in it. Even when the me is getting what it wants, because if you have any slight intelligence whatsoever, you know that the me getting what it wants is also going to lose what it got. <laughs> so the end of the movie is going to be, <laughs> it lost what it wanted. It lost it. As long as you're in that movie, about all about me, that's what's going to be happening. So and at some point, you get weary of the movie, of the story of me, of the loss and gain, of the hope and fear. You, get, you start to get tired of watching this movie, and your awareness starts to just prefer resting, being at ease, and not watching the movie of me anymore. That's when you start watching the movie of reality. You start seeing clearly. You start smelling and tasting and hearing and sensing and actually meeting someone in truth, that you actually see them and can hear them and have empathy for them because you're not distracted by the movie of me. And the toggle switch is just the clarity of that? Yes. Yeah. That's it. So if I'm not doing that, I'm basically just spending a life committing suicide by what I'm eating, sleeping, or whatever I'm doing to drown out that reality, which is the reality of what it is. I mean, committing suicide might be a little bit strong, um, but it's more like dreaming your life away. Mm -hmm. You know, like the old Everly Brothers song? <laughs> dream, dream, dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like that. You're dreaming your life away. So then you ask yourself, do I want to be here for my life, this little blink in time, your life? It's a little blink in time, in a vast stretch of eternity. Do you want to actually be here for the actual occurrence of it, the real existence of it? Or do you want to be dreaming <laughs> during that little few minutes of your life? I was wondering, will you speak a little more about what you call the myth of romantic love? Yes. <laughs> Even though probably no one else is interested. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'll paraphrase some of what I wrote in my book. We grow up, in this culture especially, we grow up listening to songs on the radio and watching movies and reading books all about finding love and losing love and he done me wrong and she done me wrong and, and you know, but now it's all okay and <laughs> good. And then the movies too. I mean, the powerful images of movies and the feelings, the wrenching feelings. And so, you know, it's an entrainment that happens from a very young age. It's like a, a conditioning that starts to roll that says the following. It says, 
to be happy, you must have this, this marvelous thing, this, this romantic love. To really be fulfilled, to, to be living, this is what you should have. This is what you need. But, you know, if we were to do a poll here in this room <laughs> of the experiments in that domain, we would probably find there was a lot of suffering based on the myth. I'm not talking about deep relationship in freedom. I'm talking about the romantic myth, where you're, you're sort of in the dream, and based on all the movies and pictures and whatever songs running in your head, you're looking at somebody, and you're not really seeing them. They're just a kind of framework for you to hang your, your projection on. <laughs> and you're entranced. You're, in a way, in love with your own images. And usually what happens is the more you get to know that person, the less they're fitting your images. And it, and it gets more and more annoying, right? <laughs> or depressing or whatever. And at the same time, probably the other, on the other side, it's going on with them toward you. So why I say that the relationship in freedom is so different is that you, because you're sitting in the center of your being, and you're not sitting in need and hope and romantic projection. You're actually able to see and feel and have intimacy in a whole different way. Relationship is just different in that regard. And intimacy is a thousand times deeper. It's not even, it's not even personal. It's deeper, though. So, you know, having, I mean, even just here in this room, perhaps you've sensed there's an, an incredible intimacy. We're speaking pretty intimately here tonight. Intimate things are being said. I sometimes call it pillow talk of the divine. Mm -hmm. Because there's a permission in freedom that is not really there when there's a lot of personality and personal need. You know, this coming out of this trance state, this movie, uh -huh. you know, is on one hand is a very exciting and freeing thing. But there's also some kind of, confu I, I mean, I feel like an, a, a Rip Van Winkle or something. You, know, you slept <laughs> for 20 years, you wake up and wow, you know, people went to the moon. It almost feels like there's not a ground. Right. Because the, the, the movie was so, the trance was so strong mm -hmm. that now there's an excitement, of course, because it's, whoa, right. that was just a movie. Right. Isn't that wonderful? A drug, the, the, the snake is a rope. Right, yes. But now, what? Mm -hmm. In other words, there's this incredible freedom, but not being used to that freedom because of being in Now what is now peace? Now... Yeah calm, now love that's different than other kinds, right? Deeper love, now clarity, now intelligence. That's now what? Right, and in all those words, the word I'm looking for is doing. You know, what do I do? <laughs> you just wrote a book. You were just in Time magazine. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a dream state. I mean, in a trance, basically. I mean, what I'm saying is, it's like, now, what, it, it's, it's the question. I'm not asking for the answer, by the way. Oh, good. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's like a koan. It's now what? I mean, no, what? I know what you mean. There's a free falling. There's a sense of free falling in a way. It's sort of like falling in space, and there is that sense. I mean, when you, when you were in the dream, there was a certain lockstep quality to what you were up to, you know, because you always had the new, the new hope, the new desire, the right. new strategy to be going toward and trying to manipulate things. Even in times of confusion, even in times when things weren't working out, there was a certain busyness, a motor running. I often say, like a motor running inside of you that sometimes didn't even know what direction to go, but it was just running. And now the motor's perhaps turned off. So there is that sense, but you get used to it. You get used to not really having a particular 
agenda in place. And you start to roll from a different feeling of motivation. A different feeling starts to arise that has to do with how can you be used in service. And it's not like you're having to really think of a doing, but it's more like being a receiver of dictation. You know, what is what will be the dictation? Yeah, because it feels like the movie is your, you know, you're the, you created the, you're the movie, you're the director, pre- right, right, yeah. But when the movie is over, yeah. you ain't there. Yeah. I mean, and now, and it's, I must say, it's, it's just unsettling. Can be at moments, and um, but not as unsettling as having to be in that movie and directing it every day. I mean, I've heard this many times phrased in different ways. Sometimes people are, in a way, daunted by the vastness, by the sense of infinite potentiality, and how, you know, you just, there's just this free fall. There's just this kind of merge with that. I don't want to find myself Monday, you know, sitting at my desk going, waiting for divine inspiration. I mean, it seems like... No, it's simpler than that. It's quieter than that. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you you were describing about walking by the ocean, right? Right. And it's more and more like that. It's, it's, it's little, little pleasurable hits through the day. Mm-hmm. They're just, they just sneak up on you. And, you know, it's not as if you're bursting out laughing while washing the dishes, but there's a certain little s- strange pleasure washing the dishes or wa- brushing your teeth. Or there's, there's a kind of current that's running, that's operating through your day that's giving this sense of general well-being. So let's say there are sometimes unsettled moments, but for the most part... There's this flow. This has been In the Deep. You can find our podcast channel on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms, or on our website, katherineegram.com, where you can also find the schedule of upcoming events or book a private session. We are grateful for your support in the way of donations, which are tax-deductible in the USA, and or a review on any of the podcast platforms. Till next time. Mm